Now. 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 The Music Biz Weekly presents the Rockstar Branding Podcast. Turn your band into a world-famous brand. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rockstar Branding Podcast. How are you guys today? Good. Still uh, the same temperature as it was three weeks ago. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I wonder why that might be. And I'm wearing the same shirt. Exactly. <laughs> Continuity. In fact, I might even be doing this from a different country. Hmm. How is that possible? Um, hey, today's episode is... Uh, now, this was, Ron brought this one up when we were starting to discuss the whole Apple and Beats acquisition uh, thing that went down. Um, and the topic came up, well, now that digital distribution is clearly figured out. Now, of course, there's still other things happening and that's going to evolve. But now where's the artist development? Where's that gone? Everyone's focused on apps and technology and streaming services and digital distribution and marketing this and marketing but where's the artist development to actually create things to put into that stream that are worth consuming in the first place when when was the last time you feel like artist development even existed in the music industry it it started to go out in the 90s when the, accountants and lawyers took over the industry and wanted to see immediate response. And the shift went away from trying to slowly build an artist fan base and career to increase sales as time went on to eventually produce a catalog and a body of work that was growing exponentially. You don't think that started in the the late 80s? I think it started in the late 80s when there was a shift from... um, when the form the formula the formula of a hair band was quote perfected and let's just churn out copycats. Yeah, and then it shifted when alternative exploded, yep. and then the record labels decided to, well, let's sign Stone Temple, who sounds like that Pearl Jam band, right, right, and let's you know what I mean. Let's so, sign Tad. Let's sign Paw. Let's it, sign it, exactly. All these bands, and then they lasted for one album, and then they got booted because they weren't the next Nirvana. Right, and then when it, it, it turns out that when people want an alternative, they wanted an alternative from the repetitive crap that was getting crammed down their throats on MTV and the radio. That is a great quote, man, because the, the, the whole term alternative, right. all, all of a sudden it became a genre? What? Right. Yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's not a genre. Traveler. Everybody was alternatives. Look up the fucking word in the dictionary. (laughs) It means an alternative to the mainstream. And what did alternative become? It became the mainstream. So then, what was the alternative to alternative? No one even knew. No. And and that was the record company's fault because they just kept signing. Let's find the same alternative. Well, that's an oxymoron. (laughs) So. They didn't learn the lesson of that. And as time went on, and this is the interesting thing, is because, listen, distribution is not a problem. Monetization of that distribution is a problem. And so you've got record companies who are trying to backpedal and do 360 deals for artists, but they can't offer artists, unless they're so obviously pop and mass-oriented, a reason to want to sign with a major label. So the problem is, is 
the, the, the major companies who have the, enough money to actually go to a young, fresh artist that's showing potential to say, hey, we're going to make sure the band sounds great. We're going to make sure we get touring together and promotion together and radio and your video and your data collection and all of that together. They don't have the funds to do that anymore because they got to go for a home run on every act because they just don't have the funds to do it because the revenue stream has disappeared. And so the problem is, is that they can't take a chance on somebody just selling 30 or 40,000 records, this record, and then 200,000 on the next record, and then maybe go gold, you know, because those sort of monikers and those, those achievements don't exist anymore. And so who's going to actually take the time to go into the pool of great producers, great writers, great arrangers to help the truly young and talented do this. Now they, they sit around and wait for the artists on American Idol to get off the show. And then the few people in the know grab them and work with Jimmy Iovine and work with this writer and this, and it's turned into a big old factory. But what about all the artists that are in between? Yeah. All the people that don't look like they're going to hit a home run. They're just going to be a good solid outfield player with a good average of hitting the ball that's not attractive anymore and so what's going to happen once the bon jovis go away and once the you know all of the artists that are doing the the last bastion of big business of touring because you hear all these numbers kings of leon struggling you all of these mid-level artists that have been around for a while they can't generate the revenue to really do what they were doing on any level. And it's getting viewed as almost a disappointment from their distributors. And so what's going to happen? They're just going to wait for the eight or nine mega pop stars, the Beyonce's, the Justin Timberlake's, the Justin Bieber's, the Adele's. Well, that's great for a very limited genre. So is hard rock and metal going to disappear? Is, you know, uh, just a straight-ahead singer-songwriter in the sense that they don't write something that's a little dance-oriented. What's going to happen to continue this process of people becoming, yeah. you know, marketing? Well, I think, I think what you're alluding to, Ron, is that there is a potential for the death of the big stadium rock show in coming decades. Is because... For, the, for those classic artists, because they're not being groomed. There are no classic artists being groomed anymore. And that's, like you were saying, it's like uh, there's far too much risk associated in the eyes of a major label system to artist development. There's too much financial risk, too long of a wait for them to see a return in profit for all of that time and manpower and investment. And they're not willing to wait. They're not willing to maybe lose money for a few years while a band fine-tunes their craft and, and earn, earns fans rather than buys them through uh, crappy co-writing sessions with shitty producers and stuff. Yeah, but what's going to happen to the artists that never are home-run artists? You know, what's going to happen to the artists that just have a good, solid career you know, there's guys that I come to mind like White Buffalo. He's this kind of gruff, big dude that's kind of country, a little punk, a little great singer-songwriter. You can't look at this guy and ever think he's going to hit a home run. But this guy could make music that I think is one of the 
top 10 records I've ever heard between writing, singing, and producing. And that is now going away. And what I see coming about is like the big festival things, the theme oriented, where there's, you get 20 artists together over a weekend and it becomes undeniable. They bring out 30 or 40,000 people per day for a whole weekend. And really not one of those people are home runs, but they're, it's, it's, a, it's a festival, it's an event, but it's not about one artist selling one ticket for one night or just, and that's the way it seems to be going, that there's these communities of, of people who are like-minded in lifestyle, culture, musical taste, or whatever, and they all pull together and do this collective that is outside of the normal promoter, record company, old-school model thing. And it's happening in electronic dance music. It's happening. It still happens in hip hop a bit. You got Coachella. You got Stagecoach. Now even country artists are doing, you know, these big festivals that are three days long with, you know, people that normally would never attend a festival. So, are, are, are the, but do you think those festivals are going to do anything to develop any of those acts careers? Because those festivals have become events to be seen at not to go see bands at? I, I don't know. I mean, there's always been Warp Tour, which is a great model of yeah, warped is Kevin good. Lyman putting acts on that he believes are, are going to have a, <coughs> excuse me, a future, being seen by the people in the know, people who are passionate, and the word spreads. And I've gone to shows that are in venues of three or four bands that peel off from Warp Tour, and they pack the house because... These are all people connected through Warp Tour, through social media, through genres of music, through fanzines online and offline, who share their their knowledge, their findings, their discoveries of great bands for people who are really passionate and music is a big part of their lifestyle. Now, I also think that that is starting to happen with some of these larger festivals, weekend type things where they're uh, showing people new artists, you know, to a new crowd of people. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they go, that the promoter of a particular festival, which is successful, are putting cutting-edge artists that start to break out from some of these things. So, but it's not coming from a label. But, but, so but, I, but to, have, know, but to have somebody like Paul McCartney play Coachella... You know, that's not cutting edge. That's not groundbreaking. That's, you know, he doesn't need to be there. I mean, this is sort of my feeling about South by Southwest. I, I went to South by Southwest the first three years it started. It was amazing because it literally was 6th Street in Austin, a bunch of bars, unknown bands. You walked in and you saw great music. I went two years ago and, like, the Foo Fighters did a show. And it's like, why do the Foo Fighters need to be at an event like that. They don't need because, it. Because, well, but actually, like, some of those artists do. Paul McCartney does. Paul McCartney can't just sell records to Elton John's record tank. Paul McCartney's record tank. Yeah, but we're not talking, I'm not talking <laughs> so, about selling records. I'm talking about a show. I mean, you know, he's, yeah, he's, he's playing again, Candlestick Park here in, in San Francisco. Yeah, but on the other side of that is to keep the whole circle going. And I think this kind of goes back to, you know, what we're, what the, the, the topic of this discussion is, is where does artist development come from? Where does, 
Well, you know, where does new where do new bands get in touch with the roots of music that influence them to then take it into new forms of music to remind youngsters of where a lot of the music they're finding credible and contemporary come from? I mean, one of the biggest things I remember in the Bay Area, you know, there was, <clears throat> you know, you go to the Fillmore West and you'll see the Allman Brothers and Otis Redding and because Bill Graham would would bring them music that they wouldn't normally find right, right and show people that when you put them up against each other that there was a correlation between things and here was a visionary from a promotional aspect in the live venue to to continue the evolution of the listener as well as the artist and that's one of the things that's really missing from the breakdown of the distribution system of music where it's the complete opposite now that it's the wild, wild west of the internet. But how do kids or fans of music find out where the new stuff is coming from that is completely mind-blowing when the traditional outlets of Circus Cream, Midnight Concert, and, you know, the radio station go away? I think we're... We're, we've got a couple of different topics actually happening at the same time. Because when I'm thinking of artist development, I'm actually thinking more of somebody who believes in a band that helps groom them to grow into their artistry, to become better than to grow into their shoes, to, to give them a little bit of emotional support, um, uh, financial support, uh, someone to help them out along the way, someone to give them continual encouragement, which is what, uh, you know, again, back in the old day, the major label system. And, you know, hap- luckily now some of the better independent labels are doing that with artists. They seem to be sticking around with their artists a little bit longer. Um, I do love the, what you were talking about, though, about developing developing the 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 um the fans ears as well i think that's a we should save that for another conversation but what before i i think the question of where is artist development coming from now i'm daring to say it's coming from crowdfunding i think smart artists are the ones who will develop the best those who understand the internet know how to use the tools and are going to their fans to find whatever small support there is, whether it be with a group of 500 fans or 50 or 10,000. I think through crowdfunding, they can find that support and financial encouragement to keep the ball rolling. And when I think of an, an artist development, that's what, I'm, that's what I think yeah, of is how do you artist, keep that ball rolling? That's artist investment. I think the days of artist development are over that that just becomes part of the process where the artist is left to develop a sound. He has the technology, his tools that only labels could provide in studios before. Now on a Mac, you could have GarageBand with one microphone and a MIDI interface, and you've got your own little studio. And so the final process, I think, that was left out of the artist's hands that they were forced to deal with is artist investment. And I think you hit on a very strong point that artist investment could come directly in, in micro funding of a fan base to allow somebody who's visionary enough and talented enough to take their art through self-sufficiency and plug in that last thing. And I think that's another reason why the record company distribution model is dead yeah. because aren't, it's what, gone. What's, aren't, aren't, what, you, aren't you guys basically saying that, that artist development 
is dead externally. It's now become entirely on the shoulders of the artist to develop themselves. I think, it, so. I think you, so. You have to have you have to have the balls, you have to have the backbone, whatever it is, to keep your head down and plowing forward to develop yourself through all of the hardships that are going to be out there because nobody else is going to help you and guide you. Um, and and it, it's it's all on your shoulders. Yeah. You can't sit back and sit here and go, well, I'm waiting for uh, I'm waiting for the producer to, to show up who's going to fix me. Well, well, well that's here, never going to happen. Here, here's nope. the fly, fly in the ointment with this system is that – Artists, because of, of crowdfunding and um, artists creating and owning their own copyrights, um, they are hiring people on their own who will simply, a lot of the times, just do as they're told, meaning engineers, producers, mixers, masters. A lot of times, they're just, they're not really working with the artist. They're not really helping to grow that artist, you know, where I think formerly, you know, an artist would go into a studio and and not leave until it was better than you know what but but ron would would you say that back in the day when a and r artist development existed a lot of that development happened through fear and influence you're going to do this because we're giving you money yes artists were leveraged um and intimidated somebody for whatever reason picked up a new artist and they get plugged into the machinery, and these A&R guys had bigger egos than the artists themselves, who had a network of people like, from my period, there'd be the Bob Rocks and the Richie Zitos and the Bo Hills and the Michael Wagoners, and an A&R guy would have a relationship with one of these, and you go to some sort of fledgling rock band and go, okay, we're gonna get you a song from Diane Warren or Desmond Child, we're going to stick you in this studio that's cranked out Van Halen and Motley Crue. And you're going to get produced by Michael Wagner. And you're going to shut the fuck up. And you're going to do what he says. And you're going to play what he tells you to play. And we're going to stick it out there. And unfortunately, that's one of the reasons why it all sounded the same. And it became yeah. monotonous. And it got driven into the ground. So that really is not artist development when you think about it. No, that's, not that's, at all. That's factory. That's, that's factory, factory branding. Yep. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. What they did was they went out and found a band that had the same sort of, in general terms, appealing qualities that the other commercial acts had. They'd bring them in, try to find something that they could do unique about. Them. Sometimes that would even just be a guitar sound um, and a video producer with a singer that was cute or a singer that was weird or whatever that was, bring that to the forefront, a rock track, a ballad, kick them to the curb, have them started all over again. That was the formula. Now the formula is find somebody like on American Idol that's got some interesting qualities, doesn't know anything about the music business, stick them with this writer, with this producer, and we, we do one or two tracks, we release it on iTunes with a video, and it gets off or it doesn't take off. You know, they capitalize on the eyeballs, the eyeballs of American Idol, the eyeballs of a TV show, the eyeballs of a movie star, you know, whatever it might be that might get some eyeballs on something and they maximize it by plugging them into machinery. It's very rare unless someone like Lady Gaga comes along 
you know, Justin Bieber. There's no way that this kid is in there going, I've got a vision. Okay. And he's like, whatever, man. I'm drinking Hennessy and a steak. And they put him with some high dollar, high high resume producer who helps bring his pop shocks to light. And every song is co-written by 40 people. Exactly right. And and what they do is the A&R guy listens to 40 songs, and he picks 10 of them, sits Bieber down. If he can get him out of the strip bar or out of the jet or out of the boxing ring or wherever the hell he's doing this week, and goes, these 10 songs, we're going to go in the studio and cut them. Half those tracks have already been produced by a producer, and they like them. They're like finished tracks. Yep. And either look at the whole thing that just happened with Pharrell and CeeLo Green with Happy. Right. It shows you that three or four hot artists are doing a track. Bruno Mars wrote, you know, fuck you. And, you know, but it wasn't quite right for him. But he's no fool. He sees he give it to this guy who's got the eyeballs. Bing. And that's what the music business has become. It's become mining, not farming. It's become mining. That's good. And, and it's it's a different, completely different mentality. It's let's go here. It's geologic say there's a vein of gold. Let's dig here. Where the farming was, till up the soil. Is the conditions right? Hopefully it'll rain. Hopefully we'll get sun. Hopefully people will taste it and it'll, and it'll sell at the marketplace. And no one's got the funds, the time, or the land to do that anymore. Yeah. And and that's, the, that's well, the, the beginning of the cancer of this whole model. I will say, I think that within the last 15 years, with the total crash of the system and major labels clearly not caring about new artists at all or artist development, I think we have seen some really great indies come out of nowhere that do stand by their artists, that are supporting them, maybe not or absolutely not in the financial manner that they that the old system used to because they simply don't have the money to but they're there to at least keep on working with them in a smaller manner and i think on the independent scene there are some great artist development stories happening just not anybody knows about them yet yeah well they're hoping to break through you know and yeah. and, and you know that's you know, the real difficult thing is the fact that, um, you know, to develop your own sound, your own style, to, to be patient, and to just need those, find those tools, I think a lot of people are coming to find, I mean, like the, the artist distribution, the record distribution model has gone back to the 1950s. We can't sell records anymore, so we need to own a chunk of everything you do. It's, it's like you're now, it's like being in the coal mines, you know? It's like we're going to get some of your merch. We're going to get some of your touring. We're going to get some – because these are where the only avenues of monetization are. And there are artists that realize that the genre of music that they are is never going to be hip in an underground way. So they have no choice but to sell out and go for the giant, glamorous pop world. But pop is one genre of music. Where is all of this other stuff going to come from other than jazz because it's so old school and organic, but all those other forms of music? The problem is it's like people saying rock and roll is dying. The reason why rock and roll is dying is because it's in the middle of these two things where it's commercial, but it's not commercial enough for any majors to touch it anymore. So 
it's got to either break through on its own and it's dealing with people who generally speaking don't have the same passion anymore because it's not as much of a lifestyle thing as electronic dance music or just pop dance music or hip hop straight ahead guitar bass rock and roll is pretty much doesn't have a fervent fan base unless you're playing like death metal and you can get on Ozfest. Well, and like you said too, there's not the farm fields to to uh, to grow your seeds anymore because clubs just won't let that shit happen half the time no. now. No. So I think that's a, a crucial element of artist development as well is um, a nurturing club scene to allow these bands the stage space to come and practice their craft and to figure shit out on their own. Yeah, it's interesting on that because, you know, I see it going over to Europe and the UK, I see a huge difference. And even in LA, they don't realize why rock and roll is done. You've got a huge electronic dancing that's happening in the heart of Hollywood. The Sunset Strip is now dead. And the reason is, is that they started with the pay-to-play things in the 80s and 90s, and they're still doing it. Now they load 10 crappy, unready bands up on a bill, hoping that once you bring 10 bands in, if they all bring 20 people, that's 200 people through the night. If we sell them a few beers, but the fact of the matter is, is nobody's coming because nobody wants to fight the traffic, fight the parking, pay the expense to only see one decent band and the rest suck. And go through all of that, 10 bands, all the drama, bad sound, bad preparation. And they're killing it because they're going for volume thinking that at the end of the day, day, their numbers are going to bear out. And it's quite the opposite. They're driving it into the ground. And that started about 15 years ago and it's getting nothing but worse. We see that up north as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um... I don't know. I don't know if we're ending on a positive note I don't know if here. there was an answer there or not. <laughs> All I can say is, I, from my perspective, artist development, again, is happening, can happen with those who are paying attention to their own careers that are take, that actually are even considering a career possible, that are actually like looking at the tools and they're like taking shit seriously. They're taking their fans seriously. And I think there's some opportunities there. And also... When you're running your own do-it-yourself career, being smart with those people that you hire, not just finding yes-men that'll just do the job, that are actually, find people that actually want to work with you to help you. That that are willing to step up and say, I don't like that song. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's interesting because Jimmy Ivey once said something to me that stuck with me, and that's never let the record company fill a, a vacuum that exists or a hole that exists. You have to do it before they do or it will always go wrong. And that still happens today. You can't ever think someone's going to come in and save your career because you're either ignorant or scared or fearful. And most people will tend to find people that agree with him or tell them that they're the greatest thing going. And there's no challenge there. There's no open to growth there. And so, you know, as Michael pointed out, you've got to be willing to hear from somebody that you trust. Yeah, the hook is weak there. There's no bridge. Um, the arrangement is all wrong. Uh, 
you really need to take this out of just a straight ahead thing and do something in a production aspect that brings this song to a new place. All that sort of input that you can't see because you're either ignorant or too close to it. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. All right, you guys, good stuff. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. We'll see you again next week. Bye.